Coming up on Tech News Weekly, I, Micah Sargent, am back, and uh, my co-host Jason Howell and I have a lot to talk about. First, Reed Albergati of Semaphore.com joins us to talk about Microsoft eyeing OpenAI and uh, maybe placing a bet on ChatGPT. $10 billion? Oof, quite the amount. Then Patrick George of The Verge stops by to try to explain what the heck is going on at Tesla. It's a very interesting conversation as we look through uh, what changes have happened and uh, how Musk is involved. Uh, before we round things out with our stories of the week that are all about the AI, I talk about OpenAI looking at adding a paid version of ChatGPT. And Jason talks about CNET publishing entire articles generated by AI. But is it ChatGPT? I don't think so. In any case, stay tuned for this episode of Tech News Weekly. Once again, time for the Twit Audience Survey. The annual survey helps us understand you so we can make your listening experience even better. It only takes a couple of minutes, but it sure helps us out a lot. Completely optional, but if you could, please go to twit.tv slash survey 23. That's twit.tv slash survey 23. You have till the end of the month, but if you would do me a favor and do it today, I could stop mentioning it. Twit.tv slash survey 23. Thanks in advance. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Tech News Weekly, episode 268, recorded Thursday, January 12th, 2023. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by 8 Sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer, and the pod cover is the ultimate sleep machine. Go to 8sleep.com slash twit to check out the pod cover and save $150 at checkout. 8 Sleep currently ships within the USA, Canada, the UK, and select countries in the EU and Australia. And by ACI Learning, respected companies and government agencies around the globe turn to ACI Learning year after year to help them maintain their competitive edge. Supporting organizations across audit, IT, and cybersecurity readiness, ACI Learning keeps your team at the top of its game. Visit ACILearning.com to learn more. And by Collide, you can meet your security goals and pass your audit without compromising on privacy. Visit collide.com slash TNW to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag, including a t-shirt, just for activating a free trial. Hello and welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. I am back and I am Micah Sargent. It's great to have you back, Micah. I'm Jason Howell. Missed you last week. Well, I missed you too. I missed our listeners and I missed the opportunity to get to talk to some great folks. Uh, joining us today from Semaphore is Reed Albergati, uh, who's going to talk to us about Microsoft eyeing open AI. Welcome, I believe, back to the show, Reed. Yes, it has been a while, but thank you. Yeah, so good to have you here. So let's kick things off by talking about this potential deal between Microsoft and OpenAI. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about you know how certain this is, and then give us a rundown of the numbers that are involved in this potential deal? Yeah, I'd say the deal is pretty likely to happen. Um, I think the numbers could change. I mean, who knows? But what we reported the other day is that Microsoft is going to put around $10 billion into OpenAI, which is basically like almost an acquisition because they'll end up owning something like 49% of OpenAI. 
But it's not really an acquisition because this is unlike any venture deal I've ever seen uh, where Microsoft's profits are actually capped and they're actually going to get a, a percentage of all of OpenAI's profits until they recoup their investment. So in the end of this, like let's say OpenAI uh, invents, you know, artificial general intelligence and becomes a $5 trillion company, uh, you know, they would actually end up with those shares back. For Microsoft because because the profits are capped. So it's a very unusual deal. Yeah. So that was actually one of the things that stuck out to me. Um, this this sort of first of all, the return on the profits uh at 75%, and then um the way that you know going forward there's there's an overall cap. And so it, it does sound like that's not typical in this kind of investing that this is a little bit different i'm curious uh, if you have any insight into why it's done this way is it because open ai is going well we really feel like we've got a thing here so we may come become that you know multi-trillion dollar company uh so we don't want to enrich microsoft that much i mean why do you think this is uh working out to be this way yeah, OpenAI is an unusual company. They, if you remember, they were actually founded as a nonprofit by Elon Musk and some other mm-hmm. people. And then they transitioned into a for profit company and they're now rolling out these products. But they still have a nonprofit that the company is supposed to benefit. So what they've said is they want to cap profits so that ultimately the money will, will start flowing back to the nonprofit in sort of this waterfall structure. So it's really their, um, it's really their sort of like uh, philanthropic, uh, you know, altruistic side. That's that's at least that's why they say they're structuring it this way. Interesting. So I was wondering about that myself, uh, given that this company did start out as this uh, not profit, not for profit company or nonprofit company that was, uh, you know, making AI, but also trying to sort of keep an eye on AI and make sure that it's always for the good of humanity, et cetera, et cetera. And then they started coming out with these different uh, public facing, not products, but um, demos at the very least. And it did feel like things were transitioning a little bit. Um, so what you're saying is that not-for-profit or nonprofit portion is not going away. It's still there, uh, but they're just going to have a for-profit arm. Is that is that the understanding? It is. Yeah, that's how it's structured. So, okay. you know, OpenAI, the company, um, is a for-profit profit venture, but they actually send money back to this nonprofit, which is really fascinating. I mean, the whole idea was that um, I think that that Elon Musk and others had was that, you know, artificial intelligence is this dangerous technology um, in the way that like in the most science fiction way possible, right? Like Terminator <laughs> um, taking over humanity or trying to destroy humanity or something. Um, and so we need to sort of, you know, act very sort of tread very carefully while uh, creating the technology. And I think it's kind of interesting. It's like the philosophy is, well, if, if this technology is going to move forward and happen, then the people who are really cognizant of the risks should be the ones building it. Um, and that's that's kind of the philosophy that underlies OpenAI. And I think a lot of people who work there, they really do sort of see this as, a, as an important mission for humanity. Um, meanwhile, ChatGPT3 and all this new Dolly and all this stuff is like, ter- looks like it could be just uh, an amazing uh, new wave of consumer technology. Absolutely. Now, getting back to Microsoft, um, this is only kind of the latest bit of Microsoft's involvement with OpenAI. Um, tell us about the company investing in 2019. I wasn't aware of this. 
Oh yeah. So they, yeah, that, that Microsoft really helped open AI kind of uh, develop this technology. They, they invested a billion dollars uh, back in 2019, and probably more interestingly, they 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 created they built a supercomputer, one of the world's largest supercomputers, with something like 280,000 CPU cores. So they they actually had to build you know hardware just because this stuff is so energy intensive. I mean, it's not something that you can just run on the on the typical cloud. I think Sam Altman said it was something like two to three cents per query that it costs the company every time someone uses chat GPT three or chat GPT. Sorry. So, you know, it's Microsoft. I think the big benefit for them here is not so much like the promise of profits from this investment. It's that they get to be on the forefront of this really transformative technology and actually learn uh, how to build the cloud and how to, how to, you know, create this stuff. So I think they, they don't want to miss the next wave. Like they missed, you know, search and mobile. Yeah. And so speaking of that, I, I remember um, them talking, Sam Altman talking about how much it costs and how much it costs like per day to be able to do chat GPT. <laughs> and it kind of had me every time I would go over chat GPT going, oh man, I, I, I kind of feel bad. I'm costing this company a bunch of money, but um, you know, th- that would Don't make you, <laughs> thank you. That would make you wonder about chat uh, or rather Microsoft making an investment in a company that is basically just bleeding out money. But you, or rather you and uh, your co-author in the piece talk about how this really isn't a gamble for Microsoft. And you briefly touched on it just then. Um, tell us about kind of the, the future uh, looking that Microsoft is doing in making this investment. I mean, yeah, my view is that, look, I, yeah, they are, I don't think OpenAI has some concrete business model that's proven yet. But they and they are gonna they are gonna bleed a lot of money, but that money is gonna go right back to Microsoft. Um, I probably should have mentioned earlier that investment for a billion dollars that they they put into OpenAI earlier. A lot of that was actually cloud credits. Microsoft has you know their Azure cloud, so when OpenAI is bleeding money, they're they're bleeding right back to Microsoft. So I think that reduces Microsoft's risks somewhat, um, and I think it actually helps them sort of like in a way, um, boost their cloud business. They're chasing, you know, Amazon, AWS, uh, and they're, and I think Google's probably super worried. I read somewhere that inside Google, it's like a code red, um, because, you know, they see this happening. And, uh, while Google is certainly on the forefront of AI and actually helped develop a lot of the technology in chat GPT, um, they haven't really figured out a way to consumerize it. Mm. Um, and I, and I think that has a lot to do with just the cost because, you know, Google has so many users. If they start, if they just like added a chat GPT type feature to, you know, Google search and billions of people started using it, like they would just, the, the <laughs> amount of money they'd be spending would be staggering. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that part of it that, uh, you want, you might want to release one of these features, but the, if you've got a bunch of users, the cost really adds up. Now, how could Microsoft end up incorporating, because it's not just an investment in the company uh, in the sense that, you know, you're, you're betting on a, a future where OpenAI really nails it, but also the tools that OpenAI has available now, uh, there's been some talk of incorporating that into its products. How would Microsoft do that? And uh, in, in doing so, then are we looking at one of these situations where uh, they they're costing themselves a lot of money because there's so many users out there. 
Yeah, I, it was really interesting. I think the information first reported about their plans in detail to kind of like incorporate this into Bing, their search engine and other, you know, Microsoft Office products, stuff like that. I mean, they, they do have, you know, remember Clippy, we've made a lot of Clippy jokes, but, you know, they do have this sort of autocomplete feature in, in Word that's similar to, you know, Google Docs has that as well. So you could see how this stuff would start powering those things, but you're right. I mean, the, the cost is, is super high. I think that's where they're, uh, you know, building this supercomputer really helps because they're, I'm sure they're looking, they would have to be looking for ways to kind of cut the cost down on, you know, the, the, the actual implementation of the, of the technology, right? So they may have, I mean, that, that may be where they're, they might be even ahead of Google. I'm just guessing, um, mm-hmm. just based on having developed this now for a few years with, uh, OpenAI. I'm sure they've, been aware of the problem and are trying to work on it. Absolutely. One last question for you, kind of an open-ended one. Uh, any other insights you'd like to share about this deal and kind of what you've seen so far, what uh, you're predicting going forward? Yeah. I mean, I think I think this deal probably will happen in some form or another. I think one question is, um, you know, there were a lot of venture capital firms that have invested in OpenAI OpenAI as well. Uh, we didn't talk about the valuation yet. I mean, tw- it's twenty nine billion dollars, which is really high for a company that doesn't have, you know, a business model yet, um, and and it's sort of unclear exactly what the model will be. So I wonder if if venture firms are, you know, how they're thinking about this investment, right? Because mm-hmm. it's you know they don't have the same sort of like, you know, I, I guess strategic interests that Microsoft has. Uh, they need to make a return and, and make a return fast. And then the returns are capped. So we haven't really heard a lot from from the VC world yet on this. And I'd be interesting. It, it would be interesting to see what happens there. Absolutely. Well, Reed Elbergetti, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, always appreciate your insights. Of course, people can head over to semaphore.com to check out your work. But is there anywhere else folks should go to be able to keep up with what you're doing? Sure. I'm still on Twitter, uh, at Reed Hubbergati. Um, and yeah, please sign up for the newsletter. The, the technology newsletter comes out every Wednesday and Friday. It's free. Um, so the business one is free as well, uh, which is where, you know, Liz Hoffman, my co-author on this story, uh, writes the biz newsletter. So we're new, uh, check us out. I think you'll like it. Beautiful. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, folks, up next, it's time to take a tough look at Tesla. But before we do, I want to take a quick break to tell you about our first sponsor of the episode. It's Eight Sleep. I've said it before. I'll say it again a hundred times. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer. And I have the ultimate sleep machine to help you with good sleep. It's the pod cover. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues. It can decrease the risk of heart disease. It can lower blood pressure. It can even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Look, struggling to fall asleep is incredibly common. Struggling to stay asleep is incredibly common. And maybe uh, even if you've got a partner struggling to get across that the thermostat should be one way or the other is incredibly common. The eight sleep pod cover works hard all night long to make it so none of that has to happen. It's helping to improve your sleep. 
Uh, I used to sleep so warm. I would wake up in the middle of the night, hot, have to get out of bed. I would, it, it was miserable. And it didn't matter what the temperature was. I tend to keep a pretty cold house. That doesn't matter for me. I would still be so toasty in the bed to the point that it would just, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be so uncomfortable. Well, that is where eight sleep has completely changed things for me. Uh, the pod cover that I put on my mattress, uh, eight sleep sent one my way king size mattress that I already had. So I was good to go there. Uh, I put the cover on top of it. It's kind of a fun process to get it all set up and it does thermoregulation, uh, in two spots. So you and another person can both have your own temperatures set uh, for your body. It fits on any mattress. It allows you to adjust the temperature of your sleeping environment, uh, providing the optimal temperature that gets you the best night's sleep. And I, what I love about it is it'll listen to you. It'll say, okay, so this is what you want. And then it'll go, but really that's what you think you want. And it will use the Many sensors, these biometric sensors that are built into the mattress or rather to the the cover itself to determine what actually makes sense for you to get the best sleep. So you get dual zone temperature control. You can have the bed go as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And then not just your biometrics, which are, of course, uh, you know, we've determined that's how you can uh, figure out the different sleep stages for a person, but also the environment. So it has a, a temperature sensor so it can see what the room is like as well and use that to inform how it is tracking. Uh, it makes these adjustments throughout the night, not just once throughout the night, it changes the temperature to limit wake-ups and increase your percentage of deep sleep. It also, along with the best-in-class temperature regulation, it has all of these sensors that will track your health and your sleep metrics. And then you don't have to wear a watch or a ring or uh, have something on the bed or anything like that. It's all built in. And uh, the, the app just got an update. And so this morning, when I opened the app to look at my insights, they're beautiful now and provide so much good information so clearly. Uh, it's game changing. I love it. Uh, better sleep is honestly the health habit you're going to love sticking to because you will be more refreshed, more rested night after night. Wake up fully energized with the pod cover so you can tackle whatever life throws at you. Go to eightsleep.com slash twit and save $150 at checkout on the pod cover. Eight sleep currently ships within the USA. Canada, the UK, and select countries in the EU and Australia. That's 8sleep.com slash twit. I'm telling you, you got to go there. You got to check it out. It, it makes all the difference. It's incredible. Thank you, 8sleep, for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. Now it's time for Jason Howe. All right. So how quickly things change, right? The tech industry has been proving this time and time again. I feel like the past couple of years, and especially the last year, we've been seeing this point proven left and right. One company that seems to be showing these bruises for everyone to see right now is Tesla. So I thought we could chat with Patrick George from The Verge. He wrote an article right before the new year uh, that focused on all the challenges that are kind of facing this once a darling of the electric vehicle industry. Uh, and so we got a lot to talk about. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. 
Yeah, it's great to get you on. We appreciate you taking a few moments to uh, talk to us all about Tesla and how I feel like at one point the snapshot was, this is amazing. A company is finally making electric vehicles happen. And, you know, and by you know, a lot of people's uh, accounts, it, you know, the, the whole success of the electric vehicle industry seemed to be propelled by this company. And now we're at this point of reckoning for a million different reasons. So it's hard to know exactly where to focus. But let's start with, I don't know if it's the, le- the least or most important part of this, but the stock price of Tesla. How is it doing this these days? Because it's really a great gauge for kind of uh, sentiment around the company. What's that looking like? I, I guess that the, the importance of it depends on how invested you are in that stock price. Yeah, um, true, it's doing better. It's doing better now than it was uh, at the beginning of the month. I think late last few days it's been trading about one hundred twenty dollars, and at the beginning of January it was hovering just over one hundred. So uh, you're still way down significantly from from last year's highs. Um, and you know, Tesla's stock had always been vastly overpriced. Even Elon Musk has admitted yeah. that himself. But it's it's. There's there's sort of like a, a mix of like traditional car company problems they're having to deal with, natural leveling off of tech stocks like you just talked about, and then some unique issues that are uh, a little weird and self-inflicted, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Self-inflicted. There it is. Yes, indeed. Well, before we get to that, um, I did want to call out one thing that you wrote about this margin call situation that you wrote could be kind of tumultuous uh, for the stock. And then we can get away from the stock and start talking about all the other, uh, flat, you know, uh, fireworks going on. But explain what you mean about that. Cause I'm not, I'm not super, uh, knowledgeable on stocks in general. I don't own any Tesla stock or anything like that. So I don't know how this would impact me personally, but I'm curious to know, like, how would this, uh, how would this impact the stock? Yeah, this is a tricky one. And, and there was there was a while with my editor at The Verge and I were like scratching our heads for about 20 minutes. Like, how the hell do we explain this in like a concise <laughs> and normal person way? Because it's tricky. Yeah. But basically, uh, Musk didn't pay cash for Twitter. Like Most of his wealth comes from the Tesla stock. You know, I think he, you know, he may have that emerald mine money somewhere that we all like to joke about, but nothing that would put him in like, you know, the tax bracket he's in now. So he ends up buying Twitter with loans using his Tesla stock as collateral. If the Tesla stock that was collateral for those loans starts collapsing, you can see where this is going. You see, like, it's almost like a house of cards that just starts collapsing. And at some point, uh, you know, to use a Gen Z term, mm-hmm. his his bankers, his lenders are going to want to see the receipts. And what that could mean is, you know, he has to put more collateral in, into these loans, more cash or more Tesla stock diluting his ownership and shares of the company. And I think probably weakening confidence in the company as well. Like, it would all just kind of slide downward from there in theory this has not happened yet he hasn't been margin called um you know if you're a shareholder just a fan of the company you're not going to want to see that happening but uh you know it's it it, it, the fact that they were even talking about it for a minute was it just kind of illustrates how odd the situation is yeah interesting you know one thing that i'm noticing and and full so full disclosure here me and my wife we bought a tesla last year before all this happened I think I would make a different choice uh, if if it was a year later, and and I was going to buy an EV. I would certainly think I would certainly think about it uh, twice and and kind of consider like what is that signal that I'm sending by doing that. But regardless, we bought it before all this, and I don't know if it's because we now have a Tesla that we're seeing lots of Teslas around town, or if it's just that there are an insane amount of them. But I, I feel like I'm seeing them everywhere right now. I'm also starting to see though now some serious 
serious competition. We're starting to see some, you know, of the other competitors uh, traveling around town. What and for such a long time, it seemed like Tesla was the only game in town when you're talking about EV. And I realize that isn't the case right now. But this is kind of prime territory for the competition to really catch up and possibly surpass. Are you optimistic that Tesla can kind of remain the leader that it has seemed to be up until now in modern EV or have the tides changed? I'm, I'm, I, on your last question, I'm kind of a solid maybe on that. And like, let's let's talk yeah. about just the EV market. That you, you you brought up some really excellent points. Uh, there is more competition now in this space than there ever was. All of all of the automakers, for the most part, are, are rushing into the EV space. They're driven by uh, you know demand for EVs in China. They're de- they're driven by you know regulatory issues in Europe and in the United States, you know, all over the world that are kind of pushing the world away from fossil fuels and just kind of seeing this as like you know this is the future. Software defined vehicles go hand in hand with EVs. Like there's a lot of reasons they're all rushing toward this now. But what's interesting is that they're all kind of following the Tesla playbook a lot. Um, these are very high tech EVs. They're very they're filled with screens. They're very heavy on software. You know, the, the electric performance they offer is really incredible. They're getting higher and higher ranges. You know, we're, we're looking at EVs with 500, 600 miles of range in the near future. So, like, this market is getting really serious, both from, like, the lower end, like, you know, the Chevy Equinox EV that's, like, 30 grand to, you know, like, a Lucid Air, which is, like, you know, 120 Model S competitor kind of thing. I think that, you know, it, it, it's going to be a real test of Tesla's ability to um, – innovate and 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 stay ahead in the market it effectively pioneered um and i think that one of the biggest threats they face that no one really talks about enough is the fact that the tesla lineup is getting a little old like the model s Mm. is a 10 year old car the x is eight years old uh the three and y are uh six and five respectively i believe all of these cars are getting to the point where like most like traditional automakers would have replaced them with all new models once or even twice by now and I Tesla, to their credit, has done an awesome job of like updating these cars and adding over the air features and kind of changing the specs on performance, uh, you know, once or twice a year. Like they've done a great job with that, but they still kind of look the same for the most part, as they always mm-hmm. have. I think that that they're they're not going to be seen as like the newest, hottest thing when some of these things are hitting the road. Um, the other thing I want to be clear on, too, is I don't see our current moment of weirdness as like a as like a like a fatal moment for Tesla. It's not some do or die moment. It's just a really weird Issue, you know, a set of issues around Chinese production and like, is Elon Musk's focus in the right place? And can they stay ahead of the game? Like, this is not, you know, the moment where they're, they're, you know, cash in your chips and, and, and will the last person turn the lights off of the factory kind of moment. It's just, it's just some, some weirdness that they need to figure out sooner than later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, that's a really uh, good point that you bring up about the pipeline. And that's that was one of the questions that I had as well is like, I mean, we've heard of the, the cyber truck and the like never ending delays and pushing off into the distance as far as the release of the cyber truck. What it's like, do we know of anything else that Tesla is actively working on in the pipeline? Have they been pretty quiet about what's coming next? Yeah, that's I, that's that speaks to the problem here. The stuff that we've heard about is is a reported Model Three update. Probably not a new car, but maybe some sort of refresh or or update there, which I think is needed. But you know, I haven't heard plans of you know him coming out saying like we we need like four new SUVs, uh, you know, in the next five years, which they probably do need an announcement like that. There's the Roadster, which is, you know, really far off. And on its best day, that's going to be a very expensive niche vehicle if they can get it out. Uh, there's a semi. And I, I consider myself kind of skeptical of the Cybertruck. Like, I think it's 
the design is really something, but there's a lot of Tesla bulls and like the hardcore cheerleaders on Twitter who act like the Cybertruck is going to put the Ford F-150 out of business. And I don't think it's going to. I mean, this is a this is a truck that they have had to adjust the design on many times so it could be street legal. They had to add mirrors. They had to add windshield wipers to it. You know, there's rumors it might not have airbags. I haven't been able to confirm that yet, obviously. But, uh, you know, there it's it's. Is this the kind of truck that can compete against the stuff that we're seeing from like Ram and Chevrolet and Ford in the truck space? Or is it a toy? And it kind of feels like the latter. And I'm not sure a toy is going to like move the needle for them in a way they need that right now. (laughs) Although so much about Tesla in my own experience, there's a lot inside of Tesla that kind of screams toy to it as well. Like there's a lot of serious, but there's also a lot of not so serious, uh, which is which is. in, which is kind of a mixed bag because on one hand, it's kind of like, oh, great, a company that doesn't take itself seriously, except you're a vehicle company. You should probably take yourself seriously because uh, yeah. people could die if you, if you don't. Uh, and we haven't even even touched yet on kind of the the chaos surrounding, you know, Elon Musk. I feel like things have sort of you know slowed down or quieted down here in the month of January. And I'm not sure if that's because there's less noise being made or if we have other things that are distracting us. But Musk has had a pretty uh, noisy year, you know, taking over Twitter um, you know, and, and really directing his attention away from Tesla into kind of the distraction that Twitter has become. How I mean, how serious is that for for the company? Like what I have to imagine people, you know, who are Tesla devotees are, you know, have to be upset about the fact that it really seems like Elon is distracted. And how does that impact the brand? Yeah, distracted is absolutely the word I'd use. And that's kind of the perception he gives off right now. Like when we look at the reasons for the Tesla price uh, stock price decline, it's been some fairly normal factors like weakening demand in China and having some issues, you know, with production in that country because of their aggressive COVID lockdowns. That's kind of the normal stuff. Then we get into the weird stuff, which is like his ownership of Twitter. You're right. I I think that to a lot of people, even to his fans, to his investors, like Musk does not give off the appearance of a CEO who's fully in control of his car company, which is also the primary source of his wealth. Um, you know, he sent an email to the Twitter staff, uh, you know, I think the other day that that uh, platformer was the force to, re- to report. And, and he said, most of my Tesla work was completed this weekend. And now I'm, I'm, I'm able to discuss, you know, product needs. And I have to personally sign off on every product change at Twitter. And it's like you're the CEO of the biggest EV company on the planet. And like you finished most of your work right at this weekend. Like it's like 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 some freelance story like I'm trying to knock out of my off hours, like like a side <laughs> hustle. Like that's very odd. To say. And I mean, like, you know, the, the, the dude spends a lot of his day like reply tweeting people and yeah. you know, being being tech support for often like fringe far right characters and vaccine deniers and, and and some, you know, some fairly unsavory folks who you know, might have some views that have cut us would clash, I guess you could say, with a lot of the core Tesla buyers for years. So, you know, is there is kind of a sense that he's got like a shiny new toy and is 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 kind of focused on that and and maybe it's because he sees twitter as this great um you know pathway to this all-encompassing app thing that that could work with payments work with a car whatever or maybe it's just like saving face a little bit like he he bought a bit of an albatross and uh you know now they're star for revenue and now he's trying to get them just break even he's got his workout out for him and then it was probably not work he should have taken on in the first place yeah, and then there's the kind of like uh, the unfortunate timing of certain things, right? Like um, one thing that we've been 
talking about on the network this last week that's been kind of making the rounds is the surveillance footage of the eight car pileup uh, in the San Francisco Bay Bridge and kind of the unfortunate timing of that coupled with Musk's uh, self-driving beta tweet saying, hey, self-driving is, you know, it's it's clear, it's good to go. You know, it's never been better. Meanwhile, on the same day, you know, we've got this footage of, from my understanding anyways, from this story, that self-driving, full self-driving was in control. Of course, the driver had some culpability here too. The driver was sleeping from my understanding. But, um, but still, you've got this system that you know musk musk and Twi- and uh, tesla really want everyone to trust and to feel comfortable with yet something like this happens i, I mean talk about the uh talk a little bit about the kind of the 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 parallels between what's coming out of the mouth and what what we're seeing <laughs> i guess yeah it's it, this is another example of tesla kind of leading the industry i mean like they were yeah. one if if not the first one of the first to market with um you know an, an automated advanced driver assistance system, which is what autopilot is. It probably never should have been called autopilot. It really, really shouldn't have been called full self-driving. Um, and it's yeah. it's a very good system. It's very advanced. I think it's fair to say it probably takes more risks than competing systems from General Motors, from Polestar and Ford and so on. Um, and there have been, you know, they've made improvements to it over the years, but it 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 does every few weeks spark some big, you know, crash somewhere and then there's a big investigation well well was was it autopilot you know malfunctioning was the person drunk in the back were they watching a movie and like this crash like i don't think we have all of the facts in yet but it is mm-hmm. it is causing a lot of doubt about a system that musk has said you know this is the key to tesla being worth anything like, like he said that the company is is quote-unquote worthless if if we don't figure out full self-driving and automated driving and you know, what's interesting there is that last year was a really brutal year in the automated driving sector. Like we saw, you know, a huge startup Argo AI went out of business, backed by Ford and Volkswagen. Um, that 2022 seemed to be the year where most car companies and most tech companies looked at uh, autonomous driving. Like, you know what? This is not right around the corner. You're not going to be giving your keys to a robot in like five years. You're not going to be using your car as a robo taxi when you're sleeping. Uh, it's probably just going to gradually evolve more and more into more advanced safety features over the next few years and be used in commercial applications, mining, you know, like like those kinds of settings. But Musk is still sort of tripling down. Like, no, this car is going to drive itself, and that's going to be the key to unlocking all of the value for Tesla long term. It's like, okay, we'll see. That's definitely at odds with the trends we've been seeing, what everyone else has been saying. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, I do not believe this is a story that is anywhere near complete. It'll be interesting to see what 2023 does for the company as we, you know, we were talking about just a few minutes ago in, you know, as Tesla really continues to be kind of pressured by the fact that there is actual competition and sizable competition that's kind of heating up, as I believe, and I think a lot of people agree, competition is a good thing. Kind of key, you know, and, and Tesla's had some innovation, but it also hopefully the competition helps to keep them honest as far as what they actually have and, and what maybe they're playing their cards too strong or whatever. But I think we're going to learn a lot more about the company as we uh, head forward this year. So and I'm It'll sure you're going to be writing all sure. about it, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I often tell people I feel like it's Elon's world and I just kind of live in it. So, uh, you know, excited <laughs> for more of that in 23. There we go. Patrick George, uh, thank you so much for hopping on and uh, talking with us a little bit about this. Obviously, people can follow your work on The Verge, so everybody can go there. People want to find you online. Where can they find you? 
I'm on Twitter at by Patrick George, and I post a lot of my stuff at the same address on LinkedIn too. But uh, thanks for reading. And Jason, thanks so much for having me on. It's been wonderful. You bet. We'll talk to you soon, Patrick. Take care of yourself. Take care. All right. Uh, coming up, I think for the rest of the show, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> I love I, looking in, in the rear view on this show the last few years, uh, our interests like you really see them bubble up. I mean, obviously uh-huh. AI is a huge story, but we also had we had our VR moment. VR, where like yep. so many of the stores stories are VR, and now it's like oh, all the AI stuff because there's so much happening. It's such rich ground uh, to mine. So uh, coming up, uh, what might be a premium version of a Chat GPT uh, offering? What might that look like? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that in Micah's story of the week, but. First, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by ACI Learning. If you have heard us in the past talk about IT Pro or IT Pro TV, right now it's just IT Pro, well, you're going to love ACI Learning and all they have to offer. ACI Learning has fully customizable training for your team in formats for all types of learners across audit, cybersecurity, and IT. So you get entry-level training all the way up to putting people on the moon, practically. ACI Learning has got you covered. According to Robert Half, 62% of tech managers plan to expand their teams in 2023. 88% said it's challenging to find skilled workers to fill available roles. That's opportunity, man. Take advantage of these opportunities. Let ACI Learning help you get your IT and your tech career started. With ACI Learning, gaining these uh, certifications and increasing your salary, which we all love, has never been easier. The most sought-after tech jobs for 2023. Here's just a few of them. Cloud engineer, database developer, DevOps engineer, front-end developer, help desk tier two and three, network administrator, network security engineer, software developer, software engineer, system security manager. It's just a few of them. The average salary for an entry-level network administrator is around $75,000. ACI Learning's Network Support Specialist Program actually provides the training needed to pursue or advance your career in networking, also preparing you to take the CCNA certification exam and CompTIA security and network certification exam. So it's really getting you ready so you can reap the benefits of being there for that opportunity and being the right one for that opportunity. Ultimately, the big difference in salary comes down to specialization, right? The most popular certifications offered by ACI Learning include CISSP, CCNA, and CompTIA A+. Uh, but there's plenty of other in-demand tech skills and certifications that are offered. Technical support specialist, computer user support specialist, information security analyst. I mean, the list is long. You can check it out for yourself. Uh, certifications show more than proving a skill set, right? They signal to employers that you, as a professional, you're committed to keeping your skills up to date. It's the proof that you, you're keeping your skills up to date. ACI Learning offers fully customizable training for all types of learners. So whether you prefer in-person or on-demand or doing it remotely, you can take your learning beyond the classroom and then be prepared for your IT career. And it doesn't end with IT. You can explore all ACI Learning offers with IT Pro, Audit Pro, that includes enterprise solutions, webinars, and the skeptical auditor podcast, also practice labs, learning hubs, and their partnership program. 
ACI Learning supports organizations across audit, IT, and cybersecurity readiness. Maintain your company's competitive edge with ACI Learning and visit ACILearning.com. Check it out for yourself. It's pretty awesome stuff. That's ACILearning.com. And we thank them for their support of Tech News Weekly. All right. We've got a back-to-back AI starting first with Micah. Yeah, so if I go right now to chat.openai.com, I get a message that says chat GPT is at capacity right now with a link that says get notified when we're back. And then it shows a little uh, play out sort of an animation of uh, chat GPT. So this is new. Um, I have not experienced this before. Uh, this morning, actually, uh, was the first time that I saw this happen, where they reached capacity and hmm. therefore were not able to add any new people uh, in to use ChatGPT. Um, so it is uh, interesting to see how, you know, as more people are learning about it, uh, what is what they're able to do, what they're not able to do. Uh, And I actually just refreshed the page and was able to log in and I'm here, but it says at the top, um, we're experiencing exceptionally high demand. Please hang tight as we work on scaling our systems. Uh, So I would imagine that it would take a while for it to uh, properly load, uh, whatever message I give it and, uh, or, you know, whatever prompt I give it rather, and for it to actually pop up. So, um, we talked earlier about Microsoft looking at OpenAI potentially making an investment. And part of the interesting thing is OpenAI doesn't seem to really have a business model yet. Um, how does the company make money, uh, given that it has provided these tools mostly for free for people to check out. And this is uh, potentially going to be the first time that we see uh, this play out because OpenAI is reportedly working on a paid version of ChatGPT that through paying, you would get answers faster and maybe not uh, get hit with that. Hey, we're over capacity right now, so you can't uh, join in. Um, So, Basically, if you were in the OpenAI Discord, uh, you would have seen a message talking about how they are considering uh, doing a, um, a, a version of OpenAI's chat GPT that would let you uh, gain access to it and use it at any, at any time, uh, but you have to sign up for it. So... Um, the I, I found the link to it and was able to fill it out uh, just to see kind of what the process was like. And basically it asks you, of course, for your uh, email and what you were using chat GPT for. And then also it asks you some questions about pricing. It asked um, how expensive is too expensive for chat GPT? Um, how expensive or, or so it was like, um, what would be a price that you would consider too expensive to be willing to pay for chat GPT? And then it was, what would be a price that would be, uh, uh, so inexpensive that you would consider that the product probably wouldn't be worth even checking out because you're not charging enough for it, essentially. Uh, then it was, what would be a price that would be a good deal? Um, a really good deal that you would be willing to pay for no problem. 
And then what would be a price that is uh, getting to the point where you would not want to pay for it uh, if it got any more expensive than this? And then uh, what would you be willing to pay for it, uh, you know, monthly or whatever it happens to be? And so I filled all of that out just to see. Uh, and it, this hasn't rolled out yet, uh, but it is interesting what this could mean. Um, what it would potentially provide, uh, and I want to be clear, the the wait list that I filled out did not have this information. So they may have updated the wait list uh, since, the, since TechCrunch reported uh, on, on this news because uh, TechCrunch has a, a screenshot and it says uh, ChatGPT Professional Experimental is geared toward professional use with always available uh, access. So there would be no blackout windows, uh, fast responses from ChatGPT so you wouldn't get throttling and as many messages as you need at least two times the regular daily limit. So that would... Um, Allow. I did, I've never run up against the limit in the first place, so that hasn't been an issue for me. But this was the first time uh, today that I went to log in and was not even able to access it. So I could see that going forward being an issue. Um, now, the, the interesting thing is, it is still just an online web page that lets you type things into it and get responses. You know, it's not really a... Uh, professional level tool. Uh, in fact, it's kind of hard at sometimes to make adjustments to what you've typed in or to, uh, to, to recall what you've sent before. And so what I would find interesting about this is how open AI may, uh, change and upgrade the experience such that people would be willing to pay money um, to use this as a professional tool. Because you've got some other services out there. I think of uh, Grammarly as a great example. Um, and there are some other online services where you can sort of paste in some text and get some suggestions on how it might be improved. Uh, and they often have browser extensions and all sorts of different tools to go about uh, using that. So I wonder... Um, if we start off by, you know, you pay to get access at all times, will they then take the opportunity to improve upon what's already there uh, to make it more of a professional tool than it is right now? So we'll see. Um, we'll see. It's but but the early kind of interesting thing for me is just the fact that, you know, if the company is paying a couple of cents uh, for every single uh, use of the service and more and more people are checking it out, that money starts to add up and there aren't ads or anything on this page. There's nothing that is, um, you know, resulting in them getting money back. So it's quite literally just losing money, losing money, losing money, losing money, losing mm -hmm. money. Uh, so they got to do something if they want to keep this tool available and, you know, able to be accessed for people. Um, so we'll see how that's going to look, but uh, it did make me curious I know that um, ChatGPT has continued to be mostly just a um, fun and occasionally interesting slash entertaining uh, fidget tool, I guess, to, yeah, to, to play around with. Or, yeah, curiosity, uh, bar trick kind of thing. But it has, for me, it's not been any sort of professional tool at all. Um, but I am curious if, A, how much you have used it, 
and B, if you could see using this in some sort of um, professional way or, you know, semi-professional way? I haven't had much reason to use it other than pure curiosity, really. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, like how would I need to, you know, what need do I have to fill um, in order to, to implement a system like ChatGPT to improve what I do for a career, which is usually speaking in front of a camera and hopefully speaking authentically, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like the, the, my needs for chat GPT are, are very uh, shallow or light. Um, I think I'm kind of same boat as you just really, it's a curiosity thing more than anything, really kind of getting a sense of what it's capable of. And then also kind of looking ahead and going, okay, well, if this is where we are now and a service like this is, being monetized and implemented. And as we'll talk about in the next story of the week, uh, being implemented in very you know interesting ways where people have figured out how they can use chat GPT uh, and make things like their work, you know, it impact the work in different ways. Um, but I'm certainly personally not there. I, I would think it would be surprising to me if, chat GPT didn't do what they're working on right now, the people behind it, um, because it really is, you know, so, so often in technology, it's, can you capitalize on the time when the lightning strikes and the lightning has struck in a big way for the folks who created chat, chat GPT. So what do you do with that? They're, they're in a prime position to, yeah, to really make an impact and, and also, you know, potentially create a, a really uh, interesting and successful business around that. So, so I'm not surprised. I said, um, give me a 10 line rhyming poem that explains why someone would want to pay for chat GPT. And here we go with chat GPT by your side. You'll have answers. You can confide no need to search or to roam. Just type and let it compose in seconds. You'll have a reply that's relevant, accurate, and spry. No more waiting or delay. Just type and watch it play. So why would you want to pay for a tool that helps you sway? It's simple. It's worth every cent with chat GPT. Your time is well spent. Thank you, ChatGPT. Well spent in the set. Uh-huh. I like uh-huh. that's, that's, uh-huh. that's pretty smart. Sense spent, yeah, clever, yeah. clever. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll find out. Uh, you know what it ends up costing. Uh, you know what they're going to do with that. What I will find fascinating is whether it will or how long rather it's going to be a an experiment of how much it's going to cost versus being rolled out entirely because i know there's yeah. got to be this this level of like oh oh we just want a few more people to check it out and realize the value of it oh 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 let's keep it open just a little bit longer more people can, they're starting to get it they're starting to get it and then you reach a point where it's like okay it's costing us too much we need to lock it down yeah so right right playing this playing in this space i think is the most fascinating thing here for me Yeah, yeah, indeed. All right. Well, speaking of AI, we will continue to talk about AI, this time with an AI confession. But first, let's take a break so I can tell you about Collide, who are bringing you this very episode of Tech News Weekly. If you're listening to this podcast, the odds are good that at some point, you or someone you know will go through an audit like SOC 2 or ISO 27001. And when you do, you'll have to answer some tough questions about endpoint security. Questions like, do all your company laptops have their disks encrypted? Does everyone have the company's password manager installed? Do you have a system in place to monitor and maintain compliance throughout your cross-platform fleet? Even if you're confident the answer to all those questions is yes, 
The bigger question is, can you prove it to an auditor? If you're not quite sure how you'd go about proving compliance across your fleet of devices, well, then you need Collide. Collide is an endpoint security tool for Mac, for Windows, for Linux devices that does things MDMs can't and gives you the visibility you need to achieve and maintain compliance. Best of all, Collide doesn't resort to surveilling employees or locking down devices. Instead, it works with end users to resolve issues and relies on their cooperation and informed consent. I can't tell you, Collide is, just the idea of it is so brilliant to me because it's working with the folks that have these devices. So they go, oh, I get it now. I understand why it's telling me I need to throw this away. I understand why I'm supposed to download it this way. I understand why I need to have the password manager installed. Instead of just treating them like they're stupid and uh, you just you just say, you got to do it because you got to do it. No, people want to know why they need to do a thing. And they need to be reminded occasionally that they need to do a thing. This is all about informed consent, cooperation. And I think that's what makes Collide so doggone brilliant. I think everybody should be using it. It's just so smart and so simple. You can meet your security goals and pass your audit without compromising on privacy. You do that by visiting collide.com slash TNW to find out how. And if you follow that link, they're going to hook you up with a goodie bag, including a t-shirt, just for activating a free trial. And the t-shirt's very soft, I gotta say. Uh, I I tend to wear that shirt quite a bit, actually. Uh, So head there for that free trial at K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash TNW. N-W, collide.com slash T-N-W. Thank you, Collide, for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. Let's hear it for the boys. I mean, let's hear from Jason Howell. <laughs> let's hear it for the boys. Okay. Uh, sorry, I can't, I can't hear that, like, the name I'm of glad the song you did. not, like, it's... try and sing it. I needed Anyways. it, so good. Yeah, maybe... <laughs> You know, that was me. That wasn't an AI representing me singing the song. Uh, Maybe in the future, I'll protect you by doing that. Anyways, uh, so last week I talked a little bit about AI and the taking our jobs threat, which is, you know, often what people, you know, are very concerned about with the potential of AI, uh, specifically about the panic around Apple's AI narrators uh, to actual, you know, audiobook narrator jobs. So let's continue this theme a little bit. This time around, it's journalism itself that's getting some headlines. A futurism article by Frank Landymore actually highlights uh, a discovery made by someone on Twitter, Gail Brayton, Brayton, an online marketer who took to Twitter to show how CNET uh, was publishing articles written by AI. Now, Brayton captured a few screenshots of a Google, of a few Google searches that actually show a few articles uh, to start off with as examples. So one article is called, What are NSF fees and why do banks charge them? And you've got another one called, Should you break a CD early for a better rate? So obviously these two examples and many of the other ones um, referenced are all financial kind of focused articles. Also seem to be kind of like explainer type articles, uh, which we can get to in a second. Brayton noted his search results pulled back at least 72 articles published by CNET starting November 11th uh, that carried with them a disclaimer. And that disclaimer, at least in, you can see it in the search results, it's kind of like part of the text of the search result inside Google. It says, this article was generated using automation technology and thoroughly edited and fact checked by an editor on our editorial staff. So that's the quote. 
Now, Brayden said this disclaimer printed easily within the Google search results, as you could see. On the actual article pages, however, the byline listed says CNET Money Staff. Now, if you knew to click on CNET Money Staff, you would then reveal that disclaimer in full. So, yes, CNET disclosed, but also it's not really made entirely clear unless you go digging beyond what's shown on the screen at first glance. So there's, I mean, there's something there. It's kind of like, yeah, they disclosed, but did they put it right out in front, you know, where it probably deserved to be? No, they didn't. You had to know to click the thing to see it. Um, so I'm sure there are people who read it and who might never have questions or, or second guessed it. Um, now, Brayton noted that Google metrics show that some of these pages are being rewarded with a lot of search traffic. And that actually points to Google's own algorithms not recognizing or not demoting the content based on its AI-derived roots. And this is important because last April, Google's uh, search advocate, John Mueller, uh, put out a post or a, a, a blog, I think it was, citing that AI content was against its own guidelines. So if that's the case, is Google kind of, you know, is Google even aware that this was written by AI? And if it's not aware, that's that's interesting in and of itself. Um, but if it is, why is this getting through, being promoted, all this kind of stuff? Um, I guess one question there is, and I'm curious to know what you think about this, when you're mm -hmm. talking about explainer articles or articles where it's, facts or details. They are fact checking. I mean, often these are articles that, you know, I've known some people who who write articles like these and they're, they're not their favorite articles to write, right? They're really mundane and boring, pretty easy to piece together because you're just talking about facts and details. Mm -hmm. um, so like, does it matter if an AI wrote it, if it's still factual, if it's still fact checked, if it's disclosed, like, I don't know, does that change things? If it's fact-checked, what? Let me try that again. If it's no, I said that correctly. I don't know why. That no, you got wrong. it. If it's fact-checked <laughs> and it is disclosed, then on the surface, at the very least, yeah, I think that that's fine. You know, you obviously don't want to be putting out a piece that is inaccurate, um, and I think that's the biggest uh, thing from that perspective. And then on the other side, so journalistically speaking. The fact checking and uh, the disclosure are the two, in my opinion, the two checkboxes you need to check. So that's considering the, considering the journalistic perspective. Then we have to consider the humanist perspective, I guess, um, in which you say all of the. So I, I, it's been my experience that working at a uh, a site that is kind of like a blogger site or a, a tech news site uh, where you're writing, everyone is underpaid or almost everyone is underpaid mm. um, yeah. and remains underpaid the whole time they work for the company. <laughs> and um, if you are already underpaying people, and then uh, there's one specific company that I'm thinking of now uh, that acquired a company that I worked for in the past um, who is notorious for not only underpaying, but also having one of the most paid, the, the highest paid CEOs in publishing. Then mm. you start to go, you're trying to cut costs uh, by not hiring freelancers or by uh, cutting down on the number of posts that people are doing, so thereby being able to reduce your staff. If you are adding an AI system to put out posts, 
so that you can increase the pay that you give to people because you're making more money because those posts that, uh, you know, you can do more of those posts so that it leads to more Google results or whatever. If the math ends up equaling you paying more money to the people uh, that work for you, that's great. But when we look at that, how often does that happen? I think it's very unlikely <laughs> that yeah, uh, it's going yeah. to result in people getting paid more. I think it's going to result in cost-cutting uh, measures. So I think we, you know, that's the thing. We can't look at any of this in a vacuum, um, mm. in the, the vacuum of, of journalistic integrity. As I said, I can, I feel comfortable giving it those checkboxes um, if you disclose it properly uh, and you fact check it. It's just that as a human being, I can't just go with that and call it a day and say, okay, you yeah, know, it's fine. Yeah. It's good. Cause I got to consider the other uh, sides of it. And that's my worry uh, with that. Uh, th- then there's the, I guess the third part of me that is <laughs> like hated writing those kinds of pieces that uh, yeah, I'm glad right. that there's something that can do that. <laughs> so that's good. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a mixed bag. Right. Yeah. That's how I feel about it too. It's definitely a mixed bag. And I should also point out, like, it's not like this is the first time that articles like these have been written by computers online. We've seen that for years, you know, a lot of like link baity kind of, uh, junk, junk sites that are just collecting web traffic, you know, for ads displayed on the screen. You see, I mean, what, what seems to be anyways, a lot of those articles are probably written by, by robots or, or just randomly generated in some cases. Um, and, so CNET being a news, you know, a very well-known, respected news uh, news agency, let's say, um, that's maybe a little strange. But this isn't even the first time that we've seen that. The Associated Press has been doing this for earnings reports, apparently, since 2015. So there is an application of this sort of thing, you know, that, that it, mm-hmm. the AP is doing as well. And again, it's it's like... What is the kind of article? Well, an earnings report is a lot of, you know, pre, I think it's easier to write something like that because it's just based on, it's based on sheer facts and data. Yeah, And also oftentimes it's an AI that's reading that earnings report that has been generated by an AI that then takes that information and gives it to the people who, you know what I mean? So that, that's, yeah, um, I, I think there are certain things, um, that, the value of having a human do it is very, very, very low uh, and ends up being kind of busy work for someone yeah. versus just getting that done uh, by way. I mean, unless again, if you've got the earnings report editor that your company and you're trying to fire them, um, that stinks. I know that yeah. it will happen, but that stinks. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. No. Yeah. I totally agree with that. So anyways, Interesting to note. Um, I don't know that at least, you know, the last time I checked um, earlier, earlier this morning, I did not see a reply from CNET as far as this is concerned, because it's not like they they announced this and said, hey, we're trying something new. We are going to have, you know, a AI write some of our, you know, kind of fact factoid related stories or, or whatever. Um, it just kind of started happening. I don't know that CNET was required necessarily to make that announcement, but when you're talking about something as, you know, obviously very sensitive and kind of, uh, it has the potential to impact jobs and things like this. And you're a journalistic outfit. Like you probably should, 
but um, they're not required to, I guess. So, I mean, I'm just curious to see what CNET says eventually about this and uh, if other uh, outlets are doing this or or considering doing it. Ch- tools like ChatGPT make it hard to not at least entertain the idea to be, you know, along with AI and the development of it to be at the cutting edge of what comes next. Cause it's really hard to stand in the face of this and say, no, don't, don't right. progress, you know, don't develop <laughs> exactly. that idea anymore. Like it's kind of just going to happen. So do you ride the wave with it or do you push back against it and, you know, to what end? So anyways, <sighs> I just that. want yeah. I just want everybody to be able to have jobs. Yes. I know that's yeah, just too I much know. to ask. I know. I know. <laughs> it's not the world we live in. Yeah. What what is uh what is it the uh the uh I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. The the uh, universal basic, basic income, income? Universal, universal basic income. Basic income. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, I I'm very careful about mentioning that because that's for some people are like too far. Uh, it's super but, super triggering. Yes, that's actually what I do want is universal basic income. <laughs> <laughs> but don't tell everybody I said that. <laughs> I think you just did. Oh crap! <laughs> this is that's live. How podcasting works. Oh no. <laughs> Are you listening like out at there? the core of podcasting, Micah? What that you say in the mic goes out to that. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> How can you prove it? All right. We've reached the end of this episode of Tech News Weekly, and uh, we do the show every Thursday, twit.tv slash TNW. We, the humans, do the show every Thursday, and then other humans behind the scenes edit it and make it happen so that you get it into your feeds. You know, John Ashley, uh, I think, uh, was it uh, Ant was helping out with, this, yeah. with the show today? everybody behind the scenes so we got real humans working on this show and you support us when you subscribe to the show twit.tv slash tnw no 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 oh wait uh it's fine <laughs> i'm fine i'm real uh he's no, broken <laughs> if you'd like to get all of our shows ad-free, uh, I've got a way for you to do that. It's called Club Twit at twit.tv slash Club Twit. When you go to Club Twit, you can join the club for his, uh, starting at $7 a month or $84 a year. And in doing so, you get some great things. First, you get every single Twit show with no ads. Yes, ad-free content because you are the sponsor, in effect. You also get access to the Twit Plus bonus feed that has extra content you won't find anywhere else. These are Twit shows uh, and, and moments that are not available available elsewhere and access to the members only discord server that is a place where you can go to chat with your fellow club twit members and also those of us here at twit a fun place to hang out and uh, if you thought that sounded good well i'm gonna make it sound great because you also get access to some great shows that are exclusive to club twitters club twit members there's got to be club club twits um there's the untitled linux show which is as you might imagine a show all about linux there is uh the hands on windows program it's a short format show uh brought to you by paul therott that covers windows tips and tricks and all sorts of great stuff and then you've got a show from yours truly hands on mac a show that covers all things apple i just saw the other day someone was like why don't you call it hands on apple and uh if you want to have a call with apple's lawyers be my guest but uh, hands on Apple, not going to work. Hands on Mac seems to be okay. So hands on Mac, but it's a show about all sorts of Apple's devices, uh, iPhones, iPads, short format, and lots of tips and tricks there as well. Um, so please head to twit.tv slash club twit to sign up. We're going to continue to make the club more and more valuable to you. And in return, you help keep this thing rolling 
and uh, going along. If you'd like to follow me online, I'm at Micah Sargent on many a social media network. Uh, you can check me out on uh, Thursdays for Hands on Mac. Uh, if you are a Club Twit member on Sundays now for Ask the Tech Guys, uh, Leo Laporte and my show where we take your tech questions and answer them live on air as well as uh, it's kind of a variety show. We, we've got lots of good stuff going. I believe Jason's going to be making an appearance uh, this Sunday. And mm-hmm. on two, yeah, on Tuesdays, you can check out iOS Today uh, with me and my co-host, Rosemary Orchard, uh, where we also talk about uh, Apple's platforms and apps and stuff you can check out for them. Jason Howell, what about you? Well, find me on Mastodon, twit.social slash at Jason Howell. You can find me on Twitter, Jason Howell. Um, every Tuesday doing all about Android, twit.tv slash AAA. And yes, I will have a, a short segment on Ask the Tech Guys uh, this weekend. So look for that. Um, and that's really about it. We love doing this show. We love having you along. So thank you. I already thanked everybody behind the scenes that helps us do this show. And uh, But I didn't thank you for watching and listening. So thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you next Thursday on Tech News Weekly. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am Ant Pruitt, and I am the host of Hands-On Photography here on Twit TV. I know you got yourself a fancy smartphone, you got yourself a fancy camera, but your pictures are still lacking. Can't quite figure out what the heck shutter speed means? Watch my show. I got you covered. Want to know more about just the ISO and exposure triangle in general? Yeah, I got you covered. Or if you got all of that down, you want to get into lighting, you know, making things look better by changing the lights around you. I got you covered on that, too. So check us out each and every Thursday here on the network. Go to twit.tv slash hop and subscribe today.